Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome Winnipeg Gold-Eye Gold starter, excuse me, Travis Seabrook. Travis, thanks for joining Kevin and I this week. Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me on. You know, Travis, I got to tell you, you were a guy last season who, as the season went on, just all of a sudden the numbers just got better and better, and a person that was very hard to ignore the kind of year you were having. What was the 2023 season like for you? Um, I overall um, felt like I had a, a, a half-decent season. It was my first season back uh, full-time in a starting role. Um, which when I had talked with our, our manager last year, Greg Taggart, at the beginning of the year, um, we were both kind of on board that I wanted to uh, just try and log, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, log more innings uh, than I had the previous two years and just try and, you know, feel like I could be a little bit bigger of a contributor um, in that regard. So just moving into a starting role uh, made sense. Um, so as the season went on, I just kind of felt uh, – like I was getting a lot more comfortable in the role uh, at that time. It had been probably four or five years uh, since I'd been in a starting role. Um, so just a lot of it, I think, uh, just kind of boiled down to just being more comfortable, um, you know, getting getting the innings under my belt and, and feeling uh, better just, you know, going, throwing six, seven innings uh, per start. Uh, felt like it got better as the season went on. So you began the season working primarily like a little bit of a relief role and then moved into starting rotation. What's the, what kind of, what's the transition in your workout or your preparation for games when you move from that kind of a role to even a little bit into the season? It was, that I think was the hardest, that was the hardest uh, transition just because um, my role, uh, I know at least for my first two years when I was with Winnipeg, um, I wanted to, as a reliever, I wanted to be available every single night. I didn't want there to be a game, uh, where I wasn't available to come in at some point in time. Cause you know, every game has, you know, that one pivotal inning or, or, or so it could be in the fifth, it could be in the second inning, it could be in the eighth inning, whatever that time would be. Um, I wanted to feel like I was at least available for that. Um, so I just put such an emphasis on daily readiness on just getting my body and my arm, uh, ready to go every single day. And then transitioning that into uh, a starting role where I was trying to get myself ready every fifth day or sixth day, I guess, if we had an off day, um, that I found was the hardest part. But most of it just came down to my throwing routine, uh, which is getting, getting something set each and every day um, so that I knew what my body was going to feel like on that second day, on that third day, on that fourth day, you know, right before a start. Um, and it just was a little bit different than uh, – uh, than what my, my throwing workload was as a reliever. It was a lot uh, more specific, I found, whereas day-to-day, -day, just as a reliever, I just was, you know, get out, get my throwing done, get any arm care done that needed to be and or needed to get done and just be ready to go um, for the nighttime, whereas my, you know, workload as a starter each day could be a little bit heavier and a little bit more specific just because I knew exactly when I was going to be throwing. Now, I have to tell you, I, I think that this was one of the more fun parts of the season to watch, just for, for me personally. So a very tough outing for you in your first start of the year. And then all of a sudden, you're, like, blowing everybody away. <laughs> I mean, eight runs over the next 29 innings uh, that you allowed, and it, it was, like, six or seven incredible outings in a row. 
what happened after that first outing that got you on a roll like that? Uh, I had felt like I was uh, was throwing the ball really well, even even right before, like you know, in my preseason and stuff, right before that first start that I had in Gary. Um, I've always been a really big believer on just focusing on how I'm throwing the ball now. How do I feel mechanically? How's the ball coming out? What are my pitches looking like? And how that you know what are they doing um, by the time they get to the plate? Um, so that whole like first stretch of, of the season, um, I, I felt really, really, really comfortable and confident with where I was at. Um, and that start that I had against Gary, um, part of it, I, I guess, could have been a little bit of nerves, I guess, like that was the, you know, my first game of the season. It was my first game that I'd started, like I'd said, in four or five years. Um, so it could have just been a little bit of anxiousness, just leaving the ball a little bit too much over the plate. You know, I just felt like in a way, um, I kind of had this mentality, like I'm, you know, I'm starting back in the starting role now. I need to be able to throw strikes and, uh, you know, make guys put the ball in play and get quick outs and stuff like that. And I think that uh, just kind of took me away a little bit uh, from what I do well as a pitcher to get my outs and just was leaving the ball a little bit too much over the middle of the plate and was giving up too many singles uh, and, and a little bit harder contact than, than what I should have been doing. But Outside of that, once I just kind of got back in the locker room after that game was done and just kind of, you know, reevaluated what I had been doing, um, I think it helped big time kind of just getting my feet wet again, like in that starting role, um, and then really just trusting all of the work that I had done preseason um, and just kind of, you know, falling back on that as opposed to trying to do too much. Um, so, you know, my next four or five or six starts or however many starts it was after that, um, I just kind of settled in and, and really got comfortable and got on a little bit of a roll. We've seen with pitchers that have gone from starting to the bullpen that you know, often hear, well, now that I'm in the pen, I can I can just really let loose knowing I've only got one inning or so many batters to face. What is the adjustment going in the other direction from the bullpen to the starting rotation? Do you find yourself, is it a different pitching pattern? What were the differences for you? Um, honestly, most of it, I think, was just uh, in, my, uh, like in my throwing workload. So like I was saying earlier, my um, pregame work and the work I would do even on the off days and stuff leading up to the season – my intent when I get on the mound is always going to be the same, whether I'm in the bullpen or whether I'm as a starter. I want to try to throw the ball as hard as I can for absolutely as long as I can. And where the difference comes from doing that in a bullpen setting or in a starting setting just comes with like how, basically like how much stamina I have. Whereas like if I'm in a role um, as a reliever, I'm going to train more or less. Like I want to be able to go out there and let it rip for 15 or 20 pitches at the most. And that's usually kind of the extent of, you know, where I do most of my training. Whereas if I'm in a starting role, I want to be able to go out there and let it rip for a hundred pitches. Right. So in my, my preparation, um, in between starts and especially my preparation, uh, preseason, uh, leading up to that, that first start of the year, um, it just comes with how long, basically how long I'm throwing, how many throws am I making, uh, in my day-to-day catch play, uh, you know, how sometimes uh, in, my, in my prep, in my bullpens, I might stretch out, uh, you know, and, and throw like a 45 or 50-pitch bullpen 
just so that my body gets acclimated and gets adjusted to, to having such a, a, a much bigger workload. Um, but as far as the intent goes each inning, uh, that doesn't change. It's just as a starter, I just train myself to, to do it a little bit longer. It's like if I'm going to go and be a runner, uh, you know, you're training for a 100-yard sprint, you're, you're predominantly just, you know, going to run 100 yards or 200 yards, or you might be able to, you know, get a baseline and run a mile first. But most of your training is going to be for 100 yards. That doesn't mean that a 100-yard sprinter can't run for longer. It's just they, they just change, their, uh, change the focus a little bit. What did you learn about yourself in this first year that, that carries into this next season as a starter? Um, the biggest thing I think was just uh, really dialing in on what I do in all of my pre my uh, you know my pre pre game warm up and and my routine in between starts. Um, I found uh, this past season I had got into a gr- uh, little bit of a rut. Um, after that first, you know, five or six starts, like you had mentioned, um, where I kind of lost my way a little bit, um, and a few little things mechanically when I, you know, looking back on the season and even at the time, looking back on each start, um, a couple little mechanical things, uh, had got out of whack. Um, sometimes my, my focus on what I was trying to do, uh, would change a little bit. Um, and it went from, uh, you know, wanting to just try and get outs and, and keep the ball down. You know, maybe it was trying to strike out a few more guys or we were playing a specific team that I knew really, really well. Um, and it j- just little things like that that kind of pulled me away from what I had been doing really, uh, really well early on. Um, and that was what I felt like moving into this season is to treat every start kind of just like I'm, I'm at square one where I just, do my routine and stay true to my, to, to my routine each and every week and my pregame routine leading up to my start and not letting little things kind of try and pull me off my path. Now, I, I'm kind of curious for you. So you come into Winnipeg. Rick Forney is your manager. You had Greg Taggart last year. You're going to have Logan Watkins this year. Three great managers, three very different managers. Uh, how, how's that experience for you? Uh, it's good. I, I enjoy uh, getting to see baseball from different perspectives. You know, everybody's going to have a little bit of a different style and they're, you know, they're, they're going to have different philosophy and different culture. And those things I think are really good. It's, it's a valuable thing. Uh, the longer that I play, um, I think it's important to be able to see baseball from a bunch of different perspectives, you know, because that only helps me in the long run. It can help me uh, you know, coming into a season now uh, where I'll probably be one of the older guys on our team. Um, and now, you know, with Logan being the third manager in the AA that I played for, um, just being able to have all of those different perspectives. And, and, and I take it as an opportunity to kind of learn things and be able to give back to some other guys that haven't had that type of experience in the baseball world, right? Because a, a lot of guys will have a whole bunch of different coaches and they train in the off-season at facilities and they're talking to this guy and to that guy and this and that. Um, but when they get out and they're actually playing, like, for instance, if you go to college and you're spending four years in college and you've only got one manager, you know, when we have some, some young guys come in um, to our team that, that might have only played for one or two different managers and they're just really set in their ways um, about doing things a certain way, then they come into pro ball for the first time and, and everything's a little bit different. Uh, having somebody that they can talk to or, 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 you know, try to get a little bit of advice from that's been through those changes and those adjustments 
dealing with different managers and different philosophies and guys like things being done a certain way, I think is just going to be a really big uh, asset uh, moving forward and going into this year, especially with another new manager uh, with Logan Watkins. You're going into your fourth year in Winnipeg, and along with uh, Mac Murphy, and you know, I assume you guys are the veterans of the ball club. And do you see yourself becoming a clubhouse leader and taking guys under your wing that are coming into Winnipeg and just showing them around, showing them, showing them, I guess, uh, stuff to do around the city and just the way the things are ran with the Gold Eyes. Um. In a way, yes. It's not. It's definitely not something that I want to like self-proclaim myself as at all. Um, I'm just there to play and just to be a good teammate. And that most, you know, first and foremost, it just is exactly that: be a good teammate, be a good friend, give advice when people come and ask for it. Um, and and when there are situations that occur where they need somebody to speak up or something needs to be said or whatnot, like I'm happy to take on that role, um, but it's not something that I'm actively seeking. You know, first and foremost, I just, just want to be a good teammate. I want to be there, um, you know, for, for guys when they need it, and I want to try and be, um, you know, a, a backbone in a sense because Winnipeg's a very special um, place. We've had a very special team and a special culture for the, the three years that I've been there, and we've always tried to keep things uh, very close-knit and have a lot of really good camaraderie amongst the group. Um, you know, so that's, those are things, uh, that I definitely do, uh, you know, hold dear. Um, so moving forward, if there's anything, it's just trying to, to carry on, you know, the, the legacies and the camaraderie and the stuff of the, the gold eyes way or the Winnipeg way, as we like to call it. Um, I think it's something that I definitely, uh, want to be able to, to do moving forward and to kind of keep up tradition and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean that that that's that's about it. You, you know, Travis, you you grew up in Canada, and I think sometimes here in the United States, fans maybe listen to this and thinking, well, there aren't a lot of great baseball players in Canada, but a lot of great guys have come out of there. What what, what was like the the competition level for you growing up? Uh, it was. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's like any other sport. Um, for anybody uh, that's, that's trying to reach the pinnacle of a sport, it doesn't matter where you are. It's going to be tough. Your competition is going to be really hard. Um, the one thing that I, I will say when people ask about that, they're like, oh, you know, you're from Canada and, you know, there's snow and everybody's up there playing hockey. Like, what the hell are you doing playing baseball? It was like, well, you know, baseball was a, a summer pastime for me. Um, but just because that was a sport that I chose that might not have been the most popular sport at the time, given where I was living, um, doesn't mean uh, that it wasn't it wasn't competitive and that it wasn't hard. And in a lot of ways, I think, and I'm sure a lot of other Canadian players can attest to this, um, playing baseball in Canada, in a way, I think better prepared me for a lot of the things that came later on in my career because I was forced to do them earlier. And as an example, um, as far as travel goes, I pretty much spent, all of high school from the time I was 13, 14 years old until I got drafted when I was 17, 18, uh, traveling every weekend or every other weekend, big uh, trips in the spring, big trips in the fall, um, away from home, uh, just to try to go and get exposure um, because there's not a lot of college recruiters that are coming all the way up to Canada to try and find players. Most you know, places you can get you know, back then before social media was as big as what it was um, now. 
we were the ones that had to do a lot of the traveling. So I, I feel like in a way, um, playing baseball in Canada helped me grow up a little bit quicker and, and mature a little bit, a little bit more. Um, just because of some, some different, uh, obstacles that we had to face as Canadian baseball players that way. Um, but it was definitely competitive and, and I know, uh, there's a lot of Canadian players out there that are still playing now that are, um, you know, at all, all different levels that are very thankful from, for those challenges that we got to face when we were younger. So what do you say when people say to you, this is a hockey country, what the heck are you doing? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I grew up mostly playing hockey as a kid, pretty much up until I was, like, 13 or 14 years old. Um, like, I played hockey. I played AAA pretty much from when I was five all the way up until first or second year of high school. Um, and I, my parents really tried to push me to play as many sports as I could growing up. You know, like, I played hockey. I played baseball. I played basketball and volleyball. Um, and when I got into high school – from a baseball perspective, I just had a, a goal of trying to be able to play a sport beyond high school. And at that time, like with hockey, uh, the draft uh, into the OHL was certainly a, a possibility. Would I gotten drafted or not? I don't know because I didn't actually end up playing my draft year. Um, but looking at things objectively, and I sat down with my parents and with a couple of my baseball coaches and whatnot, at the time I was you know, in 10th grade, uh, as a sophomore in high school, I was already like six foot five. I was left-handed. I was pretty athletic. Um, and I just felt, uh, very much like I would have more opportunity, uh, for scholarships or to go away somewhere in the States to, to go to school and play, uh, you know, beyond high school than what I did playing hockey. So I made the executive decision, you know, with the support of my parents and everything, um, to just start pursuing baseball full-time pretty much in my sophomore year of high school. Um, so that was when I started going to indoor, indoor facilities to train in the wintertime uh, and whatnot, which obviously couldn't get outside because we had snow from November all the way until May. Um, but, uh, you know, I just felt like I had more opportunities in baseball than what I was going to have playing hockey or playing any of the other sports I played. Um, so that was kind of just, you know, how that decision got made. Um, but I feel like it's, it's like, you know, with everybody, anybody that goes and plays a bunch of sports, you know, kind of regardless of where you're from, um, most of the time you're going to end up leaning towards the one that you're best at, uh, or the one that you have the most fun playing. And for me, that was just, that was just baseball. What's that experience like for you, 17 year old kid, so to speak, drafted by the Baltimore Orioles in the fifth round? I mean, that had to be unreal to you. Yeah, it was uh, a very surreal moment. I still remember it. I was uh, sitting in my living room. I had my parents were there, my brother was there, my grandparents, and uncle. Everybody was over. Um, I was just we were sitting there in front of the uh, in front of the laptop, and just were hearing names get called out. When my name got picked, it was like, oh wow, because um, like for Canadians, as far as the draft goes, like it's not. Um, there's not a ton of Canadians that get drafted every year, especially from high school. Like you might only get. A couple back then even like you might only had like three or four canadians uh high school kids that would get drafted at all in the draft and all of them all came from the canadian junior national team so um it was definitely a very uh um it was a happy moment for sure uh it was at the time it was what i had wanted i definitely had wanted to try to get drafted if i could have 
Um, cause all I wanted to do is go and play Like all I've ever really wanted to do is just play baseball. Um, so it was definitely a, a, a dream come true. And I was super excited to be able to get my career underway. Um, but at the same time too, it was a little bit, a little bit intimidating just because it was like, you know, I was going to be moving away for the first time, uh, uh, like away from home full time. And it wasn't to go to college, you know, where I was going to be somewhere, uh, you know, that was, I was in one place, you know, I'd be able to be there and make friends that I could have throughout my whole college career. Um, it was a little bit of a different atmosphere because like I'm gone playing and we're in one place for a month and then we're traveling pretty much for the, for the whole summer. Um, so it was a, an adjustment that I was ready for. Like I had spoke a little bit about earlier, um, having to travel so much through high school to play, to go to showcases and tournaments and stuff that were in the United States. I felt prepared for that, even though I was only 17. Um, but it was still, you know, it's moving away from home full time for anybody um, is going to be a big adjustment, but I felt like I was well equipped for it and um, was ready to take on the challenge for sure. From the time you were in high school and you got drafted up until where we're at now, do you feel like Canada's commitment to baseball has evolved throughout the years, that there's more of a commitment to getting the players a proper training to become guys that can be professional players or even at least become collegiate players? I do. Uh, I do, for sure. Um, Just looking at uh, the options um, now for uh, training facilities and just baseball as a whole, I feel like in the last 10 years, um, even like since I had been drafted, um, has gone through a period where there's so much more information that's available everywhere now. Um, you know, it went from a, you know, I, I used to go and train in a, in a high school gym, like in my high school, like our, our baseball teams would go and we would just rent out the gym at the school in the wintertime after school was done. And that's what we used to go and train in. And then now it's like you've got all kinds of facilities. Like where I grew up about an hour outside of Toronto, you can drive, you know, 30, 40 minutes into Toronto now and go to three or four or five different indoor baseball facilities that have all kinds of collegiate college players, all kinds of high school guys. you got a bunch of pro guys that come back that are, that are in their training. Um, so I feel like as a whole, um, Canada has done a very good job, um, obviously with the help of Baseball Canada and guys like Greg Hamilton that are helping promote um, Canadian baseball as a whole. Um, I, I feel like it's gotten a lot better in the last 10 years. Um, you know, guys are getting recognized, I think, a little bit more than what we used to. Um, part of that being uh, social media. I definitely do think social media has helped, whereas, you know, before Instagram and Twitter and all this stuff was a big thing, uh, you had to physically go somewhere. Like I remember we used to go to tournaments all the time uh, in New York or in Rochester. We'd be in in Cincinnati. We'd go all the way south to to Nashville. We'd go to Florida every spring. We'd been to Alabama in the fall. Like we were all over the country um, trying to get exposure to get in front of college eyes or in front of of pro eyes and scouts and all that kind of stuff. Whereas now, you know, with the help of social media, um, those tournaments and showcases still exist for sure. But as a Canadian player, we're a little bit closer um, caught up to kind of what everybody else is just for the fact that, you know, a scout or somebody can just see a video of you. They, they can, can see uh, rap soto data or track man data on pitchers or they can see the hit tracks from the hitters and, and whatnot and get all of that data right away, just right off the internet. 
um, and see video of you throwing instead of actually physically having to be there in front of you. Um, so, you know, social media, I think, definitely has helped with that little bit of a disconnect that we've had as Canadian players. It's helped us catch up a little bit to, um, you know, what some of the, the players were able to do that were living in the southern parts of, the, of, the, of America and you can be outside all year round. Um, uh, but as a whole, I definitely do think that Canadian baseball has gotten better um, in the last 10 years for sure. So, knowing that, how special was it for you? I mean, I understand you, you always want to stay in affiliate ball to get that chance to play in the major league. But when you do decide to join the American Association, you get to play in your home country. What, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, that was part of the reasons uh, why I wanted to, to come and play uh, independent ball in general was I had spent so much time uh, throughout my whole entire career, right from even when I was in, in high school, um, you know, up until I had, uh, you know, 2019 when I got released by Baltimore. Um, that was like a seven or eight, you know, oh, even more than that, counting high school, it was probably a 10, 11, 12-year ordeal where I spent the majority of that time outside of Canada playing. Um, and to have the opportunity to come back and play the game that I love um, on Canadian soil in front of Canadian fans, I mean, it means a lot to me. Uh, it's, it's something that I feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of American players don't experience as much because they spend so much of their life just playing in America, playing, you know, most, a, a lot of, a lot of, you know, states and cities and whatnot, they have big baseball leagues. They've got, you know, baseball in their high school. Like my high school didn't even have a baseball team. So it, it was uh, definitely something that was meaningful for me and it helped, you know, make that decision a little bit easier. Um, but I mean, I'd, like I, I said, I love playing, uh, playing in Winnipeg in front of our fans. I think we've got some of the best fans, if not the best fans in the league. Um, so it's uh, very, very eventful and very exciting every time I get the opportunity to put that uniform on and play in front of them. Well, let's look a little bit ahead to this season with us, Travis, here. So last year, Winnipeg had a little bit of a tough year. That rotation looked like you guys were really starting to piece some, some things together there. Joey Matubalich looks very good for you guys. Landon was awesome. So as you're looking forward to 2024, tell us what your thoughts are of what this Winnipeg Gold Eyes team is going to look like. Um, I think – it's going to be a little bit, uh, again, kind of as a, as a transition year, just because, you know, we've got a, a, another new manager coming in. Um, I don't know yet still, like, how many guys are, are going to resign. I haven't been privy to a lot of those conversations. I've talked to a couple teammates and stuff like that on whether they're going to come back and play or not or, or, or what's been going on there. Um, but I have a lot of faith and a lot of, a lot of trust in Logan uh, Watkins um, you know, putting together a really strong competitive lineup. Uh, I had a couple teammates that I used to play, uh, play with, um, that had played with Logan actually, uh, when, when he was with the Cubs. Um, and I've had a couple other players that I actually have played for Logan when he was managing in Cleburne. Um, and I've heard nothing but good things, uh, nothing but good things about him and, and his competitiveness and his want to, to win and construct the best team. And the few conversations that I've had with Logan myself have, have been along those lines as well, um, where, you know, he just wants to build the best team possible, put the best guys out on the field and go and compete and try and win a championship. And um, I think as long as that's where, where our focus is all the time, uh, you know, I'm very, very, very 
I'm excited and hopeful that we're going to be able to put together a good team uh, with a good group of guys and have good leadership, um, both from our staff and from our players, um, to go out and be a competitive team this year. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Incredible fan base up there in Winnipeg. And I know that they're looking to get back to a, a championship-type club. So, so what's it like to play in, in Shaw Park and have such a, a very strong, rabid fan base like that? It's, it's good. It's, uh, I just, even before we got on, uh, got on this call, I just read something um, uh, that was talking about pressure and how pre- uh, pressure was a, it's a privilege. Um, you know, it's because there's things that are expected of you, and that's why you feel pressure. That's why you feel anxious. And um, that's definitely a feeling that I get playing in Winnipeg, just because we have so many uh, fans that come out and so many um, people that are passionate about Gold Eyes baseball and um, just about baseball in, in Canada in general. Um, so there's definitely pressure to go out and perform in front of those, in front of that crowd. Um, but it makes it a lot easier um, knowing how supportive they all are, you know, like they want to go out there and they want to see us win just as much as we want to win. They cheer for us and, you know, they're upset when we lose just the the same way that we are. Um, So in a way it kind of feels like we're all one, you know, big unified group that's just trying to to do the best that we can and try and win a championship for everybody. Um, So it's, it's comforting. I take a lot of comfort in that. Um, And it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's like we, we get, you know, probably 3000 people or more, um, almost every night of the week uh, and the weekend, especially like when we get, you know, have fireworks to get some promos going on and stuff and the stadium fills up like it's electric. It's just, it's, it's so much fun. And uh, all our promoters and the marketing group and stuff do such a good job, um, you know, bringing people to the ballpark. And then it's on us to go out there and perform and give them, give them a good show and make them want to come back by winning. So um, it's a good, uh, it's a good thing that they've got going there. They've, they've had a good thing going there for a long time, long time since I've even been here. Um, so it's, it's exciting and it's, it's a lot of fun. What do you personally look to accomplish for yourself? What, what, what are your goals for the 2024 year? I want to win. I want to win. I, I, so far, uh, in my entire pro career, I think I'm going into my 11th, 10th or 11th season of pro ball. Um, I've yet to win a championship. I got no rings that I have anything. Uh, like that, I think one of one of the teams I was with uh, early on, I think in short season with Baltimore, we made the playoffs. I think one year, um, and got beat out in the first round. And so outside of that, it's like I we you know I haven't been um, been lucky uh, and and uh, been a part of any any championship uh, teams so far in my career. So that's definitely something uh, that I. Uh, care deeply about. I want to. I want to go and win. I want to try and contribute to our team as 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 much as I can in any way possible um, to help us uh, do that. Make a deep run in the playoffs. We'll make the playoffs first and foremost, and then and then you know make a deep run and try and get to that uh, get to that trophy. Um, but you know those things are like those things are important. I feel like everybody everybody would say that. Hey, what are your goals? You want to come and win? Like for sure, everybody wants to win. Um, but I also take, uh, a lot of pride in, you know, building the relationships and stuff that I have with people. Um, I feel like that's something that oftentimes gets looked over a lot or it gets taken for granted, uh, with baseball players a lot of the time and, and all the other players I'm sure can attest to it. 
where you spend so much time with your teammates and, you know, with the staff and stuff throughout the year, you're spending 10, 12 hours every day with them. Um, like there's nobody else in your life that you spend that amount of time with. Um, and then oftentimes when the season ends, like everybody kind of just goes their separate ways and uh, some guys you keep in touch with and whatnot over, over the off season and stuff. But a lot of times some of those relationships uh, start to fade a little bit. Um, and then it's, you know, it's great to you, you see each other again when the season kicks back up for spring training the next year and you pick up like things never left off. Um, but one of the things I really, the last, the last handful of years that I've played, um, I've really tried to cherish and, and um, hold some of those relationships and friendships and stuff pretty close to my heart. So outside of baseball and, you know, wanting to go and, and do well and, and pitch well for our team and, and contribute and win and all that kind of stuff. I really, uh, you know, want to try to be able to make some good friendships and, and have good team camaraderie and, uh, you know, carry something, you know, more than, than baseball uh, with me when the season's over. All of those friendships that you've made, especially when you're in the Baltimore farm system, are there guys that you played ball with in the lower levels that now are currently – enjoying success at the big league level yeah oh yeah there's there's a handful of guys i've known um and played with and was friends with that are all now um in the big league uh you know it's it's surprising because there are there are guys that make it that you know when i when i was playing with them are were like no doubt about it everybody was saying you know this guy you know he comes in he's super talented and everybody knew that he was going to be a big leaguer at some point and then there's some other guys that uh end up making it and it's and, and not that it's surprising like I can always understand how it happens anybody that makes it you know makes it into the big leagues is well deserving of it um and it's I got nothing but uh you know I'm just happy like happy for those guys and and to see the firsthand like how hard it is um to make that like to to make that jump it, I wasn't able to do it I got the high a and didn't pitch well enough to continue. So like, I, I get how hard it is. I got nothing but respect and admiration for the guys that can make it. Um, so some of my friends and, and most of my friends that, that have gone on and made it and have, have big league careers now for a couple of years or, or more, uh, or some guys are just getting there or will get there this year. Um, I just, I'm, I'm happy for them. I'm glad that I got to be a little part of their, their journey on the way there. Do you still keep in touch with some of them? A few of them, uh, a few of them. Now, I, like, I've been removed from Baltimore now for probably five years, six years. Um, so some of the, not as many uh, as, as you'd think. I got a couple guys I still talk to every now and then um, that have made it. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's hard. Like, the, that, the list of, of people that actually can make it there, it's probably small. Like, of, of guys I knew and were actually, like, really close with when we were players, probably five or six of them. Uh, then ended up making it to the big leagues, and from that, I, you know, it's dwindled even from the guys I really keep uh, keep in, in close contact with, probably just a couple. Um, but it's uh, you know, it's cool seeing them on TV. I, I you know, obviously got to watch them all play when you're in the minor leagues and uh, see how much better they are now and how much they've improved and to see their career progress along. As I've tried to progress my own career, because I'm still you know hoping for an opportunity like that at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's good. You know, Travis, you bring up an interesting point. That I'm curious your thoughts about. So, 
the season's winding down, and it looks like you're not going to make the playoffs. Maybe you've known that for seven, ten days or something like that. What's it like knowing as you're reaching that last game of the season that you're seeing a lot of guys that you may not play with again? I mean, you know, they may retire, they may move on, you may move on. What's that experience like for you in that locker room? That's the one of, I think, um, you know, where one of the most beautiful things of baseball come uh in those scenarios where the season's winding down you know you might only have a a handful of games left um whether that be you know not making a playoff uh playoff spot or just you know having your season be done and be over um it really makes you think about uh how important all of the the days are that you do get to play or that you get to spend with people um because like as, as good a friend as we are i'm sure everybody has relationships and stuff with people that you know just life happens you live in different states you live on other different parts of the country or in different countries and stuff and you don't know if you're going to be able to see those guys as much as you as you do especially during the season um or you know on on the the other side of that like you might not even know if you're going to be able to play again right there's very few people uh in baseball that get to choose their last game right not very many people get to pick a retirement date a lot of times that date gets chosen for you um, so it really just makes you put things into perspective and um, and and really really cherish and and not take for granted any time you get to go out on the field and play, especially at the professional level. Um, you know, to have people come to a stadium to watch you play specifically, um, or to come and watch your team play, uh, it's a very 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 valuable uh, thing. It's very it's a very precious thing for me, and I I, I don't take it um, for granted at all. Um, so in, in those scenarios, you know, when the season winds down, uh, I think it just more than ever, it just really makes you kind of appreciate, um, you know, the friends that you made, the, the accomplishments that you have made, you know, individually and as a team throughout the summer, um, or throughout the season and, uh, just really kind of put things into perspective. I know we've seen in this league teams that are way out of it. They've made life miserable for other teams that are still trying to make a playoff spot. Do you think for the reason that you were just talking about with guys spending their last days together, do you do you think that's a motivator for these teams to end their season strong and make that last impression a good one? In a in a way, yeah. I think one of the thing one of the reasons why I think that kind of happens is it's like when you've got nothing to lose uh, you're, everybody plays laid back. Like you, everybody plays laid back, you know, nothing's, nothing's tight. Nobody's trying to rush anything. Um, you're just out, just, you're just playing the game. Cause like, you, like I said, you got nothing to lose. Um, and a lot of times, uh, having that kind of approach that loose and relaxed and just, you know, you know, go, go play hard, but not, not playing afraid, not playing scared at all. I think, um, those are the times when, uh, teams can make a run. You know, you can go and win five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games in a row. All of a sudden, and then boom, you know, you're you're right there, and you've got an opportunity to come. Because all, all it takes, especially uh, in our league, uh, things can change so quickly. Um, one series, you know, like you you sweep a team, and the team you're chasing gets swept. You know, like that five or six game. Uh, differential that you've had all of a sudden now is is you're within a couple games or you're within one series of catching them um especially when you've got the the uh the in division uh matchups and stuff like that like they're huge especially late in the season 
Um, so I think that uh, in in situations like that where you know the team's kind of got their back up against the wall and uh, you know you, you have nothing to lose, like it's definitely a motivator to want to go and do well. But on the same note, too, nobody just nobody wants to end on a bad note. <laughs> You know, everybody wants to try and end and, and, you know, go into the off season with a little bit of momentum uh, and a little bit of hope and pride. Uh, so, you know, a combination of all of those things, but I think it uh, um, definitely can make for an exciting end of the season. Well, Travis, while we're waiting for May to come around here, uh, what, what is Travis Seabrook doing in the off season to keep himself busy? I'm in school full time. I'm um, attending uh, Florida State University in Tallahassee, down in Florida. Um, so it's a little bit, a little ways away from home. Uh, it's about a 24-hour drive from where I I live and where my parents' house is in uh, in Toronto. Um, but this is the school I chose to go to. I'm in my third year now. Um, so I'm just just in school full time. We've got a training facility here, uh, a local place in town that I go and do all my my training at, my throwing and. Um, so just outside of my lifting, my throwing and, and, you know, some conditioning and stuff like that, I'm just been in school full time. And what are we learning to be? Uh, civil engineer. That's what my, uh, what my major was. I, you know, didn't set on civil engineering specifically until about a year ago. Um, I just kind of knew, uh, I wanted to do something in the engineering field. I like, uh, the technical skills of an engineer, a lot of the maths and some of the sciences and stuff like that. Um, I like building uh, and problem solving and figuring out, you know, different types of problems or different ways of doing things. Um, I've always enjoyed that, but, as you know, I enjoyed baseball more. So that was obviously been my, um, my first passion, but um, outside of that, just, you know, working away at school and, and with engineering and, uh, it's good. It's challenging. It, it keeps me on my toes for sure. It's hard. It's not easy. There's a lot of times I'm contemplating it. And I'm like, oh, why the hell did I put myself in this? And, you know, I don't want to spend three or four hours every day having to study and prep for tests and do projects and all this other kind of stuff. But um, I've always just lived my life that way. I've always done something that's challenging. You know, baseball, you know, trying to pursue any sport really at the professional level, it's hard. It's tough. And there, you know, there's a lot of give and take and a lot of sacrifices need to be made, but the rewards at the end of it um, are fruitful. So it's, you know, it's kind of been my thought process with it. So I've just been enjoying um, plugging away. So, so that begs the question, if you, since I know you're a super math guy now, how do we feel about all these sabermetric numbers that they've added to baseball? I think it's good and bad. Uh, I, it's interesting because this topic gets talked about a lot, even just amongst players. I think that there's absolutely a place for it in baseball. Um, I think that it's, it's brought a lot of attention to things and, and answered a lot of questions that were a little bit in the gray area, you know, 10 years ago or so. Um, and I like what it's done as far as being able to um, help guys with their training and understanding, like, what to, for, you know, Taking a pitcher as an example, because I'm a pitcher, um, it, it's helped guys understand what they do really well and what they don't do really well and how to fix it. So, you know, being able to look at, have somebody get up and throw a bullpen and see spin rates and see, you know, vertical break and, you know, release angle and all this other kind of stuff, extension and mechanically, like how fast your body's moving, how much range of motion do you have, all of these different kinds of, of, of terms now that get thrown around. 
you can really kind of reverse engineer somebody from just seeing like what the ball is doing by the time it gets to home plate. Cause there's a reason that the ball does all of those things. Um, so when you're looking at metrics um, in that regard, um, I think that it's done a really good thing. It's, it's helped people just kind of understand the baseball world a lot more and be able to be more precise on what they need to do and what they need to work on and how to work on it. Um, but the other thing that I think that, it, you know, on the flip side of that, that I think it's, it's hurt a little bit is it's taken a little bit of the, uh, you know, the, the athleticism out of the game in a sense where sometimes now guys, I feel like just become a lot more robotic and it's all about doing drill work and doing all these different kinds of things. And people forget like, Hey dude, like you're, you're, you're playing baseball. Like you're, you're, you know, you're like, you're playing, you're, you're playing a game, you know? And, and it's, uh, that part of it, I, I feel like, uh, has negatively impacted the game in a way. Um, so I think there's a, a little healthy bit of both, um, where, you know, taking the metrics and understanding what it does, how it can help you, uh, improve, um, I think is really, really important, but I think it's also important to know when to put that stuff away and just focus on like what your body's doing and how you're feeling on what, what does your swing feel like? Or what are your mechanics on a mound feel like instead of just having a camera and an iPad screen, tell you all of it. Um, you know, because you can't bring the iPad in the batter's box or bring, you can't bring an iPad out onto the mound. You know what I mean? So it's, I think, um, I think it's been good overall. I think it's had a positive impact on the game, but it's definitely uh, something I think that needs to be used a little bit in moderation. Very interesting. Well, Travis, you are a, a rookie to our show, so I, I should tell you, so we give our, our guest a chance to give us a final thought about whatever you would like to talk about. So with that being said, the floor is yours. All right, well, I just need to put out, I think, the fact that the Florida State Seminoles went 13-0 and and didn't make the college football playoffs is a little bit of a piss-off. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's not even a hot take. That's just that's just my opinion. I get it. Like, I understand why with Jordan Travis being hurt. But, like, damn, dude, team, team goes 13-0 and and they win their conference championship and don't make the playoffs. That's tough. That's a, that was a tough one to take. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Travis Seabrook, thanks for joining Kevin and I this week. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, no doing problem. This. Thank you guys for having me. Well, Kevin, great having Travis on here tonight. Good to see that he'll be back with the Winnipeg Gold Knights this season. Yes, you know, he's um, 
entering that level of service with um, Winnipeg that we've seen with guys like Reggie Abercrombie and Kevin McGovern, and you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the Travis Seabrook legacy will be in Winnipeg as he enters his fourth year with the Gold Eyes. You know, Kevin, it's always enjoyable on these shows when we have a guy that will come on that will give us kind of a an inside look at what's going on, and and not only just in the American Association or with their team or something, but just understanding baseball a little bit better there. And and I, I have to say, I, I learned a lot from what Travis had to provide here tonight. Yeah, I, I'm a very good guest, and I I like to think you know that's where you know you and I. You know, we're giving these guys, we're giving these guys a forum in which they can come on and show that you know it's just not a name and a, a number and a guy that plays on the team in a jersey throwing a ball. It's you know, it's a human there. It's a human that thinks. It's a human that has a routine. It's a person that cares a lot about um, uh, making themselves into the best baseball player they can be. Absolutely, and for fans out there, Travis may be designing your city one day. So uh, keep, keep paying attention to that name out there for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think Winnipeg is going to be very interesting th- this year, Kevin, because our buddy Logan Watkins up there managing this season. We, we love Logan. It would be interesting to see Max will probably be back with the club this season from what Logan talked with us about. So can this team get make it back to the playoffs and be a serious contender this year, do you think, so far from what we've seen? I think we saw even in a season that just went off the rails pretty early last year that there's pieces to work with to make this a contending team. And I think when you combine those pieces into what Logan Watkins brings as a manager and in his ability to procure talent, I I think Winnipeg's going to be a really interesting study this summer to see what kind of a team forms up there. Well, let's look quickly through transactions going on in the American Association over the last week. We start in Lake Country, where they acquire outfielder Ray Zuberer, I believe that it is, from Florence. He's also signed by the club on the same day. They also add uh, right-handed pitcher Yeraman Lara to the club. Lake Country signs right-handed pitcher Duncan Schneider as well, who I believe was the guy, if I remember last year, Kevin, had the big... 16 strikeout performance, I think. was was that. Am I thinking of the wrong guy here? Was that right? I think you're right. He had the big performance, and then he was immediately signed away, I believe, by San Diego. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that, so uh, good for Lake Country bringing it back. Sorry, that, Duncan, that, that you're back here. And we we even had him on the show, so that, that was pretty awesome. Uh, Lincoln re-signs Aaron Takis, who will be returning that for them for the second straight year. Uh as we mentioned, Travis will be back here with, with Winnipeg. Gary Southshore signs outfielder Carlos Machado and re-signs Miguel Sierra, a late-season acquisition from them for the from the uh, Sioux City Explorers. Cleburne signs right-handed pitcher Luke Boyd and Jesus Estrada. Fargo re-signs infielder Nick Novak and left, has uh, left-handed pitcher Noah McBride join the club. They also sign left-handed pitcher Trey Cumbie. And Sioux City signs Nick Shumpert and infielder Delvin Zinn returning to the club. Nick Shumpert, I'm, was that like former major league son? Is that what we're talking about here? Uh, yes, right he was. Uh, 
son of Terry Shepard, who was a former major yeah. leaguer. And if you recall for a brief time that Nick was also a Sioux City, I'm, not, I'm sorry, a, a Cleburne Railroader. So, yeah. And he's got a cousin um, that's done a few things in the major leagues too, uh, some uh, Mookie Betts guy. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard that name once or twice before. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So good, good signings going on out there. Club's getting plenty active right now as we're cruising toward uh, spring training. Like almost exactly a little less than four months from now right now. I think the season begins exactly four months from now. So looking forward to that getting underway. You know, Sioux Falls uh, made a signing today, too. They signed Tanner Brown, who had pitched for Lincoln last year. Pure rookie, struggled a bit, but, you know, he is a Sioux Falls guy, so went to Augustana, so he'll be heading back home, and maybe, you know, home cooking's going to be something that will get him going. If I recall, he did have a start at the Birdcage last year where he pitched very well against the Sioux Falls Canaries. We also wanted to mention, Kevin brought this to my attention last week after the show was over, so I wanted to bring it up this week. So uh, thanks to Kevin for reminding me about this. But Sioux City finally locked into their contract to play, uh, the Explorers, I guess I should say, locked into their contract to play in Sioux City next year. Yes, I believe it's, um, I think, a nine-year guaranteed deal. And then with the, I'm not sure the exact wording of the contract, but it just sounds like it. Long term, I think we'll be seeing Sioux City Explorers baseball, and I hope the fans down there can get on board and enjoy a really good product. Absolutely. We also wanted to mention that the American Association signs a partnership deal with Sponsor CX, uh, the sponsorship management software company that will help to provide managing, accounting, contracts, activities create customized agreements, organize inventory assets in local uh, in a single location, create and track the fulfillment process, manage artwork approvals, proof of performance, billing and trade, and also access and manage sponsorship information through the Sponsor, X, Sponsor CX mobile app. So a lot of things we don't really know anything about because those aren't necessary here for our show. But uh, another great partnership oh, out there for the league, Kevin. Sounds good to us. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, man, Josh and Josh, keep them busy out there getting sponsorships going on. So that, that's great news to hear. Let's talk about some stuff going on around the other uh, partner leagues out there, Kevin. The Slammers hired their new manager for the uh, upcoming season. Joliet named Mike Pinto as the team's manager. I, for some reason, I think, you told me this would happen uh, like a month ago. Am I mistaken about that? I don't remember. You know, I've advocated for a long time for Mike Pinto to get managerial jobs at several places, but, you know, that's possible I may have thrown his name out as a candidate in this situation too. And, you know, it's just a perfect fit. Um, he with um, Mike Vec and his son Night Train owning the team now. Mike did manage in Sioux Falls when the Go Clang group, which includes Mike Vec, owned the ball club. And 
Mike um, started his career in the Northern League as a coach with the Joliet Jackhammers. Then went on to, after his time in Sioux Falls, his team, Southern Illinois Miners, were just a dynasty in the in the Frontier League. They're, you know, Mike was one of those guys that he would almost recruit like a football coach, bringing players in and bring them in, see their face on the scoreboard and with with the Miners logo next to it. But the one thing that Mike Pinto said that always stood out to me was when he would talk to a prospective player, if that player asked or even brought up how much money he'd be making within the first so many minutes of the interview, he knew it was a guy he didn't want. And that worked because, uh, like I said, Mike's teams were winners, and then when Southern Illinois folded, you know, Mike was out of baseball for a while doing, I mean, he's multi-talented. He's got a lot of six in the fire, but it's good to see that he's going to be back in baseball again. It's where he belongs. You know, the relationship with George Samus and the the Vec family, too, I'm, I'm sure Mike and George are, are longtime friends. I'm sure Samus gave Pinto a really good recommendation. So great move for Juliet. Um, Mike Pinto back in the dugout where he belongs. I see some really good things happening in that market this summer. As Kevin mentioned, 14 seasons with Southern Illinois, 13 winning seasons, 770 victories in 14 years. That's that's a lot of victories. For the, I mean, 14 seasons isn't a lot, and I think Frontier League plays 96 games a year. That, that's coming up with 770 wins. That's got to be a winning percentage of like 620 something. So that's that's a pretty impressive run. You got you got to like that. Uh, oh, let's see what else we got going on out there in the Frontier League. Uh, the uh, Quebec also names uh, has changes to their leadership about who will be running the club this upcoming season. So we're going to see some modifications and what's going on there. I believe, as I was looking through this here, that they named a new club president. Let me see if that's right. Uh, vice president is what happened. So Charles Demers was promoted to the new vice president role up there. And they also um, have a new general manager, as that will be Mike uh Petalion, I guess is the way that that is said. So uh, congratulations to those two guys taking over the operations up there for Quebec, a, t- a team that's been pretty impressive over the last couple of years there in their Frontier League. Then in the Atlantic League, Kevin, first of all, some sad news. Uh, if you've been around baseball for a while, you know the name Bud Harrelson, um, longtime Long Island Ducks manager, um, helped to found that club as former New York Met guy, winds up passing away at the age of 79. So um, our condolences to the Harrelson family and to all of those involved in the Atlantic League who got to know Bud very well. Um, always a fiery guy, if I remember, when his time in the major leagues there, Kevin. The one surprised me, I believe, isn't he the brother of Ken Hawk Harrelson? I believe that's correct. So, yes, um, and not surprising that he would be a, a guy out there battling for every pitch out there. So... Also, Long Island, if since speaking of them, uh, name a new coaching staff for the season as well. So uh, we'll see what they have to offer, including Bobby Blevins taking over as the pitching coach, 
and Alexi Casilla will be named as the team's hitting coach for this coming season, joining first-year manager Lou Ford. And it's wow, that's, Lou Ford. Um, that's two Minnesota Twins connections there with Casilla yeah. on joining Lou Ford. Yes. So uh, is that going to be your new favorite Atlantic League team now that you have that Minnesota connection going on out there? Yeah, it could be. You know, those were guys that were playing for the Twins when I used to like that ball club. So, yeah, I have a little soft spot for them. <laughs> there we go. That's what I like to hear. Well, I think that takes us around Partner League Baseball this, uh, this week, Kevin. So how about our – who are we shouting out to this week? Well, I know it's probably more appropriate for our other show, and I might be mentioning it on there too, but I thought the story out of from Newfoundland over the weekend of former Montreal Canadian prospect and former NHL player did have a cup of coffee. Terry Ryan, 47 years old, comes back and suits up for a shorthanded Newfoundland Growlers Club over the weekend. Even got into a fight in the waning moments of the game. In an interview with them after the game, he said that he was, in his words, out having a few pints on Saturday night when he got the call that uh, the Growlers were looking for some bodies to fill some spots on the roster for their game on Sunday, and... He said he went home, got hydrated, and suited up on Sunday. I just think it's a great story. Someone 47 years old just getting another crack to have that glory of um, being in a pro hockey game once again. Man, we're just a few years too old for that, Kevin. I guess to make our company. yeah. I don't. You know, I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you'll be seeing me pitching anywhere. <laughs> I'm with you. Let's see, my shout-out for this week, Kevin. How about to um, all of those uh, very hardworking snowplow, snow shovel, uh, snow-clearing people out there who not only endured uh, a massive amount of snow, I, I think we got 30 inches over a span of about three, day, three or four days here in Cedar Rapids. I know Chicago got a ton. Nebraska looked like they got hammered uh, with snow. All those people not only endured all of that massive amount of snow that went on, but then to have it turn around and drop into the minus 18, minus 20 degree and still go out there and work uh, to clear all that snow out to make sure that the roads and sidewalks and parking lots and all that stuff were cleared out. Thank you very much for all that hard work you're putting in there because that work literally sucks, <laughs> honestly tell you. So thank you so much for those people. Do we have to shovel, Kevin? Uh, no, I'm. We this we we had uh, maybe two, maybe three inches up here in Minis in my part of Minnesota. So we're just gonna let that melt next week. <laughs> so the wife's new contract to get a snowplow removal team not paying off yet. Now I now I found out that she had not paid him. So oh, okay. We're, I was mistaken on that part, so we're not getting ripped off quite yet. Uh, <laughs> that's what I like to hear. I, I tell you, you know, we're like where I work, they have to pay every year for snow removal. They don't do it in advance; they do it as you know, as needed. And 
the winter we're having here in southern Minnesota, we are, cross our fingers, we're saving a lot of money on snow removal. But we did get the bitter, bitter cold. Yes, and it was, uh, and still is. I think tomorrow afternoon it's finally supposed to break and get to like 18 or something down here. But, uh, man, it was, I, I was in Chicago this weekend, Kevin, for my grandson's tournament, and yikes. <laughs> what is it called? And so, uh, next week, officially, I finally put it together. I'm taking all the blame for this thing here, but I finally got it. Blake Tiberi from Lake Country will join Kevin and I next week. We're all set up for next Monday night. So, for Kevin Loco, I'm Rob Panier. We want to once again thank Travis Seabrook, and we will see you next time on This Week in the Association.